Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. We have this roundtable show live on our Facebook page every Friday at around 8.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's episode 370. Um, it's going to be, a, I think it's going to be a lively discussion. We've got a um, special guest. We have David Cohen with us. David, would you like to quickly introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Sure. Uh, so thank you for having me. I uh, appreciate you, uh, you know, giving me an opportunity to talk about the main topic here, Yoscon, uh, the debacle, the controversy, the gaslighting. Um, but a little bit of background, I'm a marketing director at a software company uh, in education technology and uh, a longtime Twitter troll in the SEO world. All right, you admit it. There we go. No there problem. We go. Let's get right into it. Um, um, Sally, um, would you like to introduce yourself to listeners and viewers? Uh, certainly. My name is Sally Getch. Uh, <clears throat> I build uh, custom WordPress websites uh, with lots of Gutenberg these days. I'm the organizer of the East Bay WordPress meetup, <clears throat> experienced token woman. <laughs> You're definitely not token. Um, John, would you like to introduce yourself to listeners and viewers? My name's John Locke. And I run a small company, uh, Lockdown Design and SEO. We help manufacturing and industrial companies get more requests for quotes. That's great. And Chris, would you like to introduce yourself to listeners and viewers? My name's Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of a WordPress-based solution for building courses and training-based membership sites called Lifter LMS. I also have a podcast for course creators called LMS Cast. That's a very good one. And Moulton, would you like to introduce yourself to listeners and viewers? Your audio is bad, Martin. Your your sound's gone all funny. Uh, um, Right, um, David. um, How about now? Yeah, Yeah. you're fine. You're fine, it's Martin. So, David, um, what made you decide to cause this little bit of a storm about Yostcon and the things that you that concern you about SEO and some of the people in the top echelon? Great question. Uh, a couple of weeks before YoastCon, I got a DM from somebody uh, that I've talked to over the years, and they were like, dude, look what's happening at YoastCon this year. Um, look who's speaking. Look at this focus on harassment. Uh you know, this is the kind of thing that you usually talk about or speak up about. So I got interested in what was happening, uh, know the people involved, <clears throat> you know, the organizers who was speaking, uh, like Rand Fishkin. And I don't know why I went into rage mode, but I did. And I remembered back uh, to what I saw in 2014 on Twitter when I had a client who um, I pitched putting, you know, installing Ghost SEO plugin into their massive network of blogs, a uh, large financial services company. They had like eight or 12 different blogs, many writers, 
we went through this process of, um, you know, pitching the idea of getting Yoast in. We had to go through legal and compliance and we got it through. It was a big win. And as that, uh, they began to kick that off, um, things weren't going well initially with Yoast, the company, uh, not the person per se. And I heard about this from my main point of contact at the company who was their head of SEO. She'd been there for 13 years and she was concerned. Um, and I felt embarrassed like, uh, for her, for me. So like what was happening, um, on a, on the customer service side of things there with Yoast. And I began to think like, who is this Yoast? Is it a person? Is it a company? Like, who are these people? I knew nothing about them. Okay. So I begin to look in Twitter. I'm a researcher. Uh, I was trained in these sort of things to, um, find information and know about people. So, uh, Again, this is 2014. I find these tweets coming from Yoast, this verified Twitter account. And I'm like, what, bro, really? Like naked, yummy, mummy, like, like what the hell is going on here? Coming from a company account? And I'm like, God forbid my main point of contact at this company sees this stuff or my colleagues. I had a team of like eight or 10 women who worked for me at this large marketing agency. And I'm like, what the hell is happening here? Um, with this, you know, what I felt was like just weird shit. Okay. (laughs) So I brought it to two people's attention in 2014. Um, two people's attention. Who were those? uh, I was one person that was a colleague at my company and one person who had been in the SEO industry for a long right. time. Right. Okay. And I said, what do I do here? Uh, nothing. Okay. Nothing. So this has been in the back of my head for many years. So they advised you not to touch it with a bulge. Pole. Don't. It, it was going to affect your career. It would be damaging to you personally. Yeah. But even for the, possibly for the agency that I worked for, a lot of, you know, you get it, like politics, money, everything. So keep your mouth shut. Um, but I've also had a problem with how the SEO industry in particular, led by Ram Fishkin, began to rebrand themselves as, you know, feminist, male feminist, protectors of women. Uh, you know, Ram repeatedly has written, tweeted about harassment, objectification of women in the SEO world. He he brought it up. He's been talking about it, but nobody's acted and they've all aligned with each other on stage financially. Um, nothing's ever been done about it. They just keep talking about it. So I want I want action now. So, you, so basically, basically, you think there's a lot of hypocrisy here and a 100% lot, hypocrisy. And a, lot, a lot of financial self-serving um um, support where the truth is a lot more darker and a bit more nastier. Right. And you know what? Like, I don't care if they want to do their events with playmates. Durndals, I don't give a shit about that. But be real about it. Either be that or be a male feminist and truly help women end the harassment and the abuse. But now there's a connection between Yoast, SEO, and the WordPress world. 
And it's kind of spilled over. And that's not cool because in my experience with the WordPress world, there's not people like that in it. Don't see those at the at WordPress events that I've been to. Um, so yeah, like I rage and I got angry about it, but it's been on my mind for a while because nothing has been done. They only talk about it. And if they really care about women and want to solve the problem, act. Don't talk anymore. Like Rand Fishkin, stop talking and act. <laughs> well, you say act. What you know? Um, you know, I don't know Rand personally. He's been on my show. He seems a very pleasant individual. Sure. Um, um, what you say act. You know how? What what kind of action would you expect from Rand? Great question. Uh, Rand wrote a Reddit post, I think two years ago. And then he wrote a book like two years ago. <laughs> Talked about the heartbreak of everything he's seen in the SEO industry, about how women were treated, mm. known of issues, known of abuse, heartbreak. Oh, I'm so sad. It's terrible. You know, like I've seen it for years. Well, what have you done to confront the people perpetuating it? If you're against objectifying women, if you know that there's harassment going on, if you know that women have been hurt and this has never been dealt with or addressed, I want accountability, responsibility, and it has nothing to do with me. Uh, it's for all of the women in the industry who have been hurt and who are terrified to even speak up, especially if you see what happened to me after I spoke up and made an issue out of it. Um, you know, the attacks, the smears, the lies, I don't give a shit about that. But that will hold anybody that's been abused in fear of doing anything. But they look at people like Rand as the leaders because they talk about it. But has Rand ever confronted the people he shared the stage with when he knew it was going on then or even now? I don't see any evidence of that. So no action, nothing has been solved. I see, your, I, I see your point. I also feel that you, um, because I'm not, I'm not sure if I was correct, um, John um, pointed some things out to me, that the actual Twitter account and the video was uh, after you publicised it, they were suddenly removed. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, they attacked whatever the YouTube channel was that put the videos on there with a copyright claim. Uh, Yoast deleted 10,000 tweets. So why was it cool to keep all that weird shit out there for years while rebranding yourself as male feminist? And now when people start to uncover it, now you're deleting it. Now you're cleaning it up. Yeah, I see. Um, you you um, have been personally attacked quite vigorously on various um, WordPress um, blog sections saying that you're a p professional shitsterer, you're a liar, you're a mo bit of an online monster. Um, I don't really see that, David. When I had an initial chat with you to see who you were and I checked you over, I don't really, you don't seem much of a monster to me. Um but do you stir things up quite a bit? You know, one hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I grew up playing hockey. Okay, so in hockey, uh, you have a job and a role. Your job is your position. 
So I played right wing. But your role is something specific. My job was to be an instigator. Uh, so that was, you know, what I was trained to do. Um, but if I have a problem with something and I think it's affecting, like, people way more beyond me, uh, professionally, you know, I'm going to act on it. So they can gaslight me, make up any lie, blog anything, publish anything about me. I don't care. I can take the hits. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to keep quiet. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop. And I'm going to keep pushing until Rand Fishkin especially addresses it. Right. Thank you for that. I just wanted to give you the opportunity to put your side. Before I put it to the panel, um, the CEO of Yoast or Yoast himself will be coming on the show next week to put their their view um, and why they feel some of your allegations are a bit unfair. Um, John, um, have you got any questions, John? Yeah, I mean... I, I, I understand totally where you're coming from. I'm the type of person that if women come forward, I'm inclined to believe them. Uh, do you feel that the WordPress community, from what you know of it, if there were serious allegations uh, of actual like groping, harassment, assault, lewd comments toward people, <clears throat> unwanted advances, is it in a position to be prepared to um, deal with that, no matter who is the person doing it, a no-name scrub or, you know, somebody that's a known quantity. Yeah, so having, like, knowing people in SEO world and the WordPress community and other related communities, development, Rails people, I've used to manage uh, a team of Rails devs, um, I would think that the WordPress community would handle the situation differently than the SEO world has because, again, this has been known for 10 years. Rand Fishkin has known about it. Again, he's been writing about it, tweeting about it, blogging about it, published a book about it, harassment, abuse, objectification. No action has been taken to solve it. Um, so I think it would be different. And, and you can see in other areas of the tech world when this has come up and, and leaders uh, and victims have, you know, tried to address it and bring it up, it gets a lot of attention. Uh, but in SEO world, it, it's all quiet and hushed. And I don't want, I don't understand how that helps anything or helps anyone. All right, then, um, I think we're going to, um, unless any of the panel really wants to ask a question to David, uh, I think we're going to go on to the other stories of the week. And we're going to start off with the internet was built on the free labor of open source developers. And that is that sustainable? Um, you put that story to me, Morton. What, 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 why did you like that story? Didn't you guys discuss my other story last week, <laughs> which is the exact yeah, same it should, thing. It should be sort of obvious, I think, why we're, <laughs> why we're that story. We have yeah. been following this. I think it's interesting because um, it, that conversation around how we finance open source has been going on for um, 
many, many years in the open source community. This article is published by Motherboard, which is part of Vice, which, is, which means the story of you know, the problems surrounding financing and open source and how value is derived from something that is inherently free has now breached the confines of the open source community and are now in the wider community. And people are truly going, this doesn't make any sense. Um, so the reason why I wanted to surface it is because that particular article, which is one of those quote-unquote long reads, um, goes into extremely deep analysis of where open source came from, how it's changed over the years, what has been happening around trying to figure out the money part, how we're doing it now, the problems that are arising now that corporate entities are taking over open source, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So for anyone who comes into the industry at this point, this is, this is the kind of stuff you need to read. If you're going to commit to open source, you need to read this to understand the history. And it also uh, shines a light of what I was trying to point out with my tweet storm last week, that we need to have this conversation in the open source community and actually make an effort to try to solve it. And the responses I got from my article and from posting this article are always the same. There are two sides to it. Either there are people who say, yes, we need to fix this because this is crazy. And then you have the people who are saying, I don't see anything wrong with corporations basically funding open source through uh, contribution and thereby, because they are funding it, controlling that open source community because after all, they're funding it. Um, And in that, in those two stances, you have a perfect example of a political ideological split within the open source community that people pretend isn't there. And I think we need to surface that and then make some decisions about not open source in general, but each project needs to make a decision about which political ideology they are going to follow moving forward and then make that explicit so that the participants in the open source community are aware of what they're committing to. I thought it was, yeah, I see exactly where you're coming from. Um, Morton, can I, I, I don't know if I'm deluding myself a little bit, Morton, but I see some linkage about how Yoast was made the marketing director of WordPress out of the blue with some of the consistent statements that you've made in public about how decisions are made in the WordPress community in general. Do you see that linkage at all? Or do you think they're two totally separate um, issues? You you mean, (laughs) I'm not sure I understand what you're asking. Do you mean, because I've been yapping about this, he was was put in place to stop the, the noise? Or do you mean... He was put in place th- as a I symptom think, of a larger problem. Yes, I think, I think no, I, I, my, no. my impression was the symptom of the problem. Yeah. Yes, we're taking somebody who's, uh, you know, working at a company and, uh, uh, it, <clears throat> you know, it's not like uh, <clears throat> the Yoast's company is exactly Microsoft, um, but, but nevertheless, it's, it's kind of an example of, well, you know, we have a company that is in a position uh, to let you know to to fund someone to to do this full time, uh, and that person is you know replacing the uh, volunteer um, who was not as well supported to to do that. Yeah, no, I think. No, I think can, uh, I inter- can I interrupt? I actually, yeah. I didn't mean that. 
I meant I meant the broader question of how decisions are made mm-hmm. fundamentally out the blue. He is now the head of <coughs> marketing. You know, the previous person doesn't is not even informed that their their services are no longer required, and um, how that decision was made. Cause yeah, I've, I think I think both of you have valid questions there. So, uh, to your question, Jonathan, the yes, the appointment of a person or actually two people into leadership roles within the community that came from the BDFL is in line with exactly the type of stuff that I've been talking about, that there are decisions being made within the community that are being made by a single person without consultation. And that is the rule of law. Um, And we can, that is why the governance project exists. That's why we need to have a wider conversation about that. Uh, And, it's it's exact it's a classic example of exactly the BDFL model, right? That you have a benevolent benevolent dictator for life who makes decisions on behalf of an entire community, and just those are the decisions that are made. The end, right? Um, and that's a model that has worked in some communities, has not worked in some communities. Um, I don't think it scales to the point we are now. Um, the other part of this, which is what um, Sally was bringing up, this idea of uh, appointing someone from a large corporation to do something in place of someone from another large corporation, that speaks exactly to what I was talking about and what this motherboard article was talking about. Because let's say, let's say um, Matt went out and said, hey, I want to appoint a marketing director for WordPress. This is effectively a full-time job. Who wants it, Right then only people who say either have independent means to be like, sure, I can just stop working and do this full time or someone who is working for a company that's willing to say, hey, we're just going to fund this person to work on this full time or, some, or someone who's funded through some sort of system can take this job, right? So the default solution here is then to say, okay, we're going to go to a corporation that has the money and we're going to appoint one of those people because that's an easy solution. It's the fastest way of solving the problem, but it also limits the gene pools, so to say, to only people who are highly placed in a corporation that has vested interest in influencing the project in some way, which is the entire problem. Um, and what I'm saying and what this motherboard article uh, alludes to at the very end is this financing model is a blueprint for how to make corporations take over all valid, uh, valuable open source projects eventually. That's just what's going to happen because of how it is. And unless the open source community comes up with new models that actually create funding models that are not reliant on direct funding through corporations to specific people who work within those corporations. This is just an inevitable conclusion of the open source experiment, at which point the open source experiment becomes not what it was intended to be, but more like a way for corporations to get free work. See, Chris, I see this all linked, Chris. I see um, this Yoast storm where you got over... Three to 5,000 particularly unpleasant Twitters and a, a video that is a little bit disturbing in a way, you know, but maybe I'm being a bit um, prudish or a bit um, hypocritical, but I'm trying not to be. 
um, with how decision making in the WordPress um, space is made in general. Do, do you think I'm right to see some linkage? There's something going on, and I I think I have a an area we can look at for discussion that can help focus the conversation. Um, I'm kind of on this the part of where I'm not sure anything's really that bad. It's I think it's okay for hosting companies and product companies and agencies when they are successful to put people to contribute people and resources to the open source project. I think that's a good thing. Um, I think what it comes down to is contributing financing and leadership, or, or I'm sorry, financing and resources in terms of people filling positions is different from leadership. So yes, people who push money and people and resources in do get some kind of influence, but most of the influence comes from the leadership of the project. And when you look at a project, if it's a nonprofit like the WordPress Foundation, the, the board of directors basically protect the um, mission and vision. Whereas in a for-profit company, it's completely different. The board of directors protect the interests of the shareholders. So that's what I think the issue is, is separating out um, leadership from finance and who, who is advising this board of directors? Are we a nonprofit in WordPress or are we a for-profit company? And I, I think that's where it's at. Let's, let's act like a nonprofit then. Well, I'd, I totally agree with you, but Matt Mohag just will not refuses to sort out this shit fest, to sort out this, this total mismatch of a non-profit and a commercial company. He just totally refuses to listen to honest advice and do anything about it. What do you reckon, David? Uh, question, how did Yoast get the job of marketing head of WordPress? How? Do, is it not known? Then that's my next research project. Uh, thank you for that. Um, I will figure out how he got this job. You know, and it also reminds me of when I lived in Russia as a teenager and kind of how I saw Putin come up with Yeltsin. One day Yeltsin was president. Next day, somebody put Putin in. This oh, is how the Soviet Union was run. Uh, very odd. That is a strange analogy. Uh, <laughs> I, make a, I make a lot of strange analogy. <laughs> uh, just, just so that said, that is a... I don't, I don't think that leg is compared to Peter, all. really, David, but I can, I can see... Hey, that. and I have to troll, okay? While I'm on the broadcast, I have to troll a little bit. Um, but no, it's an, you're all raising the right question. Like, well, at least for me, how did he get this job? Yeah. And how does that impact the whole community, right? Like, um, where's the transparency for that? Again, like going back to the WordPress community, that a lot of the things I love about it are the people. It's just very warm, welcoming, transparent people, help, like helpful, the most helpful people you can imagine. When I learned how to use WordPress in like 20, 2009, 2010, I had an instant community of people that helped me online and in real life to learn and grow. Um, you know, like, again, I'm not that involved with WordPress community now, but it's going to change the dynamic. Yeah, well, we talked about that. What do you reckon, Sammy? 
Uh, <clears throat> well, I think the, uh, you know, <clears throat> we have a, a, a symptomatic uh, situation. And I, you know, I think Chris makes a lot of sense in terms of um, contributions, uh, financial contributions would not necessarily uh, sway decisions if you have a board that, that is genuinely, you know, safeguarding the, uh, safeguarding the overall mission, but that you have and you, you still have an effective uh, case of uh, influence where, well, if everybody who is, or, you know, almost everybody who is doing the, uh, the contributing and they're on the ground um, is affiliated with these companies, uh, you know, and their missions, then it's almost inevitable uh, that even unintentionally, uh, there is going to be uh, influence in the direction of, of what those people need and want, which may not be, you know, may or may not be bad for anybody else, uh, but it is uh, focused there and that we have, yes, this situation of, well, uh, open source is kind of, an, a, you know, of and by the people who create it. And yet then, well, we've got this change in who creates it and who gets to create it. Um, you know, who has the, who has the leisure to do that? And then, um, you know, who is in, who is put in charge of it to make the decisions in the cases where you cannot do this by committee? Um, and how are those decisions made? That's great. Um, before we go to our break, folks, I want to talk about one of my great sponsors. That's WP Fusion. What is WP Fusion? Well, if, if in your tech stack, if you're using WordPress, and you should be, and you've got a membership learning management system, e-commerce website, and you're using a CRM like ActiveCampaign or Drip, there's a, and WP Fusion supports over 40 of these CRMs, their product allows that stack, those two key products, and puts it on steroids. It enables your WordPress and your CRM to work flawlessly. And you can do some amazing marketing, automation, and other things, which I cannot explain in this advert. You need to go to the WP Fusion website. If you're a power client or implementer or developer, you need to go to the WP Fusion website, learn more about this amazing product. And also they're giving us an amazing offer that's exclusive only to listeners and viewers of the WP Tonic Show. If you go and buy one of their packages and use the coupon code WP Tonic or uppercase, you will get 25% off any of their packages, and that's exclusively only to the WP Tonic listeners and viewers. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well-known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no-question-asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. 
coming back with an interesting and thoughtful discussion. Uh, um, on to the next story. Um, and that is... Jo- Jonathan? Yes? Oh, one second. I think Morton wanted to say something right before you, you did that commercial read. So let him, let him get All that right, last little go bit on, in. Morton, say something then. <laughs> I, I just wanted to read part of a comment that was left on the post I wrote about this on my site because I think it perfectly exemplifies this issue and how there are different political ideologies that back it. So the comment is, if somebody can't contribute because they cannot get paid to do it, then maybe their contribution isn't exactly all that valuable over here in the real world. I know that we're in the levels of fringe territory as far as things like accessibility and the like go, but seriously, wake up, mate. People contribute what they want to contribute. And the fact that many people's contributions aren't really as valuable as they think they are is no cause for making a mockery out of yourself with these lunatic fringe concepts. So basically, if no one is paying you for a contribution... That is proof that your contribution is garbage. This is why this is. I know. I, I gotta say, sometimes we've had our disagreements, Morton. <laughs> you're one of the um, irrationality is not something that I link you with. And no, I, no. This I is think, this is I, not. This is a comment that someone left on my blog post, right? No. It's it's. Uh, but it it perfectly illustrates that there is a. Clear. A lot of people connect being paid directly with quality. So if you're paid, that means you have quality work. If you're not being paid, that means you don't, which is an antithesis to what open source is based on. Open source is based on people contribute because they can, not because they're being paid for it. So it's like, but if this is how our community is thinking about these issues, it shows that there's a larger problem around the, the ideology of open source itself. Right? Yeah. Sounds like an automatic employee left that comment. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. There. I'm not going there. Uh, Rob, so. I, I, I won't go there either, but it is, no. it is a, a, a terrific exemplification and, and, uh, <clears throat> You know, a, a complicated issue. They would, they would never remark on your blog, would they, automatic employees, would they, Morton? They're not been posting stuff all over the internet, have they? There we go. Uh, um, so, on to the next story. Reflected on my failure to build a million-dollar company. What did you think of this one, Chris? What did you think of this story? That's the Sahil one, right? Yeah. Um I followed Gumroad for a long time. I was actually a very early user of it and used it to sell an early version of a course um, a long time ago. And I thought it was just so humbling and uh, it kind of goes against the survivorship bias of you know companies that create like a unicorn in the tech space, then explain exactly how he did it. This was just really refreshing in the space to see somebody tell a story of who had everything in line to be a, you know, giant tech company and for, for it to just pop and he had to fire a bunch of people. And then uh, now he's operating a very small business and still going. I just thought it was a refreshing read in the, in the, in our space in terms of what it's really like for a lot of tech companies. And I admire his leadership and transparency about all that. And it's very hard when you get into payments and e-commerce to even create that business and handle all that transaction 
uh, details across multiple countries and simplify it down to have such an elegant experience like Gumroad has. So all in all, great guy, great article, great company. I wish him all the best for the future. So what do you think of this, David? Okay, uh, I wanted to give him a hug after I read his story. Um, I didn't I didn't know anything about him until you shared the story with me. Of course, I knew about Gumroad, uh, but I didn't know anything about him personally. So I felt like he was kind of hard on himself in the headline, um, but he really did a masterful job of uh, laying out kind of the pain and suffering of the side of entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneurialism, growing something, having expectations on you, investors, people counting on you, uh, and what a, an enormous stress that can be. So, yeah, I wish him well, uh, and hopefully he'll find some joy and happiness in what he's doing and uh, not feel like he needs to build a billion-dollar company. Uh, yeah. All right. All right. Right, Sally, what did you think of it? Okay, so the reason I recommended this story uh, is that we've had a number of discussions uh, about um, bootstrapping versus VC funding, uh, and that this seems like a classic example of when taking VC funding gets you in trouble because that you are then committed to a rate of growth and that you don't, you know, maybe you could have been uh, a perfectly successful, you know, $250 million company or $250,000 company, uh, but you've had somebody dumped, you know, pe people dumped all this, this funding in, they want returns, they need a certain type of, of growth for it to pay off. And then, you know, you, you may or may not, you know, spend the money well uh, if you have it. And not every business is meant to have that, you know, explosive uh, growth. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't, doesn't have the, the capacity for it as a business or it doesn't have the business model for it. And, um, you know, you, you get situations like, well, we're still wondering what Twitter wants to be when it grows up. Uh, so uh, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a reminder that, well, you are taking a big chance when you go down that path and you're already taking a big chance if you start a business of, of, of any kind. Um, but that, you know, you really need to uh, have some evidence that you're going to be able to produce what they ask of you uh, if you're taking on that kind of funding. Yeah, I, I actually, um, I'm going to pass this over to Morton in a second, but uh, what struck me is um, also the language. They've got the language, you know, it's going to be a lifestyle business or it's a, a mum and pop pup business um i hate these terms that are genuine they you know they, they they're disparaging aren't they that you, because you can't go for this fantasy of a unicorn you know at, you know that somehow there's something um disparaging about being realistic and going for a lesser outcome I, I, it just kind of puzzles puzzles me about the american psyche uh um what do you reckon Milton? 
Like my mouse stopped working there for a second. <laughs> you got everything stopped working. <laughs> I'm not going to dominate the time of this conversation. I'll just say, business is super hard. Yeah. So what do you reckon, John? I think it's uh, interesting from a psychological standpoint. You know, no matter what peer group you're in, you judge yourself by, you know, what your other peers are doing. And f for the Gumroad founder, it's, oh, like all these other people are founding billion-dollar startups. And so if I don't do that, then I'm not successful. That's where his journey started. But at the end, he was very fortunate to be able to have the investors come back to him and he was able to get back the control of the company. And uh, as was mentioned previously, when you take VC money, you're no longer in charge. You have to satisfy the stakeholders. And I think no matter, no matter what period your group you're in, whether you're in WordPress and, and you see other people like whatever their definition of success is, or whether you're in Silicon Valley and uh, you see other people, you know, trying to do moonshots, it doesn't matter. Your happiness has to come from within. My goal is just to be, I want to be happy no matter what my circumstances are, but I want to stack up chips for me and my family so I can pass them down to the, the next generation. And I want to stack up chips for my clients and that's it. And if I can accomplish that and, uh, you know, be happy no matter where the, the journey takes me, great. So I thought it was yeah. an excellent article. Yeah, let's go on to the next one. Um, make it boring. What did you think, make of this one, um, Sally? Okay, so I suggested this because it is a, <coughs> a subject dear to my heart in terms of web development. Um, that, uh, <clears throat> you know, all of the, uh, that we need to be careful about adding too much uh, glitz, flash, movement, latest, whatever, uh, if it interferes with the actual usability of, of the website. Uh, that, never, never, never do uh, that. Yeah, no, yeah, nobody's ever, we, we've never seen examples of that. And, and that, you know, designers will show each other like, oh, look at this cool, new, totally different uh, navigation system or uh, uh, interface or how that, and like, well, yeah, it's cool. But imagine being a, a, you know, an ordinary person going to that website and trying to figure out just like how the heck to get around. Um, you know, if you come up with uh, clever names for like your about and contact page, uh, how are people going to actually find out about you? And that, you know, if uh, every car manufacturer built their cars with, with different uh, you know, different controls in them. Uh, yeah, but sadly they do. Drive. Uh, but they, yeah, but they do, Sally. I just, I'm still haven't learned how to use my new car, and I've had it. Well, it took me. It took me a while to uh, to to get familiar with a push button dash. Um, uh, you know, it's like, wait, I can't. <laughs> what happened to? And, and I grew up driving a stick shift, so. Um, but. Those are actually pretty consistent changes. Most new cars have similar interfaces, which are confusing to you if your car was, you know, 10 years old uh, before you got the new one. Um, and, you know, we have come up with some consistencies and standards and, and you know, things like just uh, as, as it says here, you know, like putting label tags in, in your form versus span tags and, and uh, stuff like that. And that if you have, um, you know, cool effects, 
they should not detract from usability. So they should either be in a, in a place where it's okay to have decoration for the sake of decoration, or they should be helping to cue somebody that, oh, if I click this, something will happen. If I, you know, it, and, and so, you know, being boring uh, can actually be a good thing. Uh, and that there are there are places where we don't want to uh, <clears throat> we don't want to create confusion for the sake of what we think of as excitement and also a lot of these things that I've seen with lots of whiz bang on on websites. It's like oh, it's kind of cool the first time you see it. If if you have to like go back to that place repeatedly every time you see it, it gets more annoying. Um, so it's really important. Uh, to think about that when you're when you're building stuff, and and to understand that you know, clients are sometimes just as vulnerable as as we are to the oh, isn't that cool? Uh, and it's sort of like, well, okay, but uh, are the people you're trying to reach gonna think it's cool, or are they just gonna be confused by it, or mm-hmm. is it gonna you know grind their machines to a halt because it's so memory intensive? It doesn't pop. It doesn't pop. What do you recommend? What do you recommend about this one? Yeah, this makes total sense. I mean, this is this is what all the old timing, old timer web devs keep talking about, right? That all this newfangled, fancy crap that people put on top of everything just becomes confusing and hard. It's interesting because as we get more and more tooling to make more and more fancy things in the browsers, there's a stronger and stronger tendency of users to move away from the browser interface entirely and consume content off the web through other means, either through uh, text-to-speech readers or through um, tools like Pocket that just strip all the design off and just give you the text content. And with the advent of voice interfaces and AR and all that stuff, we can expect this to just continue. I mean... I was. I said last year or the year before that I think within five years this idea that we design things for the web as in the square browser is going to go away, and this is just another part of that. Uh, so, it's th- this falls in line with what everyone who has done any research on this is saying. Go read Nielsen Norman's research on anything, and this is exactly what they've been saying for years and years and years. Right, I'm going to move on to the tips and um, product side of it because um, I know the panelists got other things to do with their life rather than coming on here. Um, so my tip um, is cart flows um, from one of our, um, used to be a regular, but hopefully um, irregular, but hopefully he will come on in the near future. And that's from Adam from WP Crafter and his partner. And basically what it does, um, it really re- it really improves the shopping cart experience in WordPress. Um, basically, you've got to install WooCommerce to use cart flows. Um, you know, it's multi versatile. You know, I've been using it on some clients with, using um, Chris's Lifter LMS product with cart flows with WooCommerce. And it's a really very powerful um, combination. And it's a, it's a cool product at a reasonable price. So go to cartflows.com and learn more about it. And you owe me a favor, Adam, for plugging your product, don't you? Uh, um, Chris, have you got anything to share with the listeners and viewers? Again? And do put it into chat, folks, so I can get the link. That, that's really helpful. Gotcha. Um, 
I saw something roll out a couple of days ago from a company called Aspen Grove Studios. They also have it. They go by another name, their podcast name called Divi Space. But they actually built a project, a product called Course Scheduler. It does work on top of my product, Lifter LMS. They are going to be adding it integrations with other LMSs. But basically what it does is it allows you to use the same course and have different cohorts of people moving through it and kind of stay together and have their own start and end dates and uh, kind of be unique as a cohort in the system. So big props to David and Corey and Jonathan and their team for uh, rolling out that product. So if you make courses and you're, you do like groups of people moving through over time and you're doing it on top of WordPress, check out Course Scheduler. Oh, sounds great. Um, David, don't you think you'd like to share to the listeners and viewers? I sure do. <clears throat> so my tip is to replace the Yoast SEO plugin with the SEO framework plugin, uh, which I have done on our company's site. No more Yoast SEO plugin for me, uh, for our company. So that is my tip. And I'm not actually trolling. Um, I use the SEO framework plugin. It is a bloat-free, ad-free, uh, nimble plugin for SEO, for you know your uh, meta titles, meta description, uh, the basic core SEO things that every page will need, you know, to be found in search, uh, and to help Google understand, you know, what the the content of the page is about, the intent, uh, the audience for the page. So yeah, SEO framework plugin, uh, use that in place of Yoast and it does everything that Yoast does. Uh, it's only better. I'll, I'll give you a full box of consistency, David. Uh, um, Sally, got anything you'd like to recommend to the listeners of yours? Uh, sure. I came up, uh, came across a couple of um, <clears throat> Gutenberg related uh, uh, plugins uh, this past week. Uh, one of them is called um, Block Navigation, uh, which is a plugin that makes it a little bit easier to navigate and select uh, blocks uh, in a, a complicated page than the uh, the built-in tool for that is not bad, but it doesn't always uh, work real well with, with container uh, type things and, and figuring out like if you've got a block inside a block, you know, reaching the the outermost block is sometimes tough with a with a built in thing. And the other one is called um, disable Gutenberg blocks. Uh, I've been experimenting to see, uh, you know, which of the similar types of blocks created by different uh, plugins uh, I like the best. And uh, you know, it's like, well, once I decide, uh, you know, and and sometimes there's like, you know three blocks in this from this plugin that work really well uh, and three blocks from another plugin that work really well and the others are duplicates and to avoid confusing yourself never mind your clients you want to disable any of them that you are not actually using uh, and so that lets you select that and it works with several of, of the uh, third-party plugins so that you can say okay I have now decided that I want these blocks to be available and you know not the other ones so that we're going to get some consistency that's great um john got anything like to share with the listeners of yours right so uh, well i'm dropping in here is an article that was uh david probably knows this guy uh nick eubanks uh from from the future 
and he published an article, uh, our minimum engagement is 30K, here's why. And, you know, I talked to a lot of people in WordPress and it's like a big, you know, psych up for some people to charge 5K or 10K for a website. And, you know, mind you, these guys have a bigger team, but as they mentioned, they were charging, you know, pretty high rates when they were a small team. And it's to it's all about profitability. You got to stick around. And you know, in the WordPress space, Josh Strebel talk, was talking about that a few months ago. But, you know, everyone, whether you're a one-person, two-person, five-person team, whatever, stay profitable so you can stick around for the long haul. So. Exactly. Um, Moulton, got anything you'd like to share with the listeners and viewers? Yes. So uh, many of us have been uh, experiencing weather lately <laughs> of various kinds, typically large, tall volumes of white weather. Um, and uh, there are many weather apps out there. The one uh, I recommend because it is consistently better than the local weather reports for local weather is uh, one called Ir from Norway. It's spelled Y-R. Um, it's run by the Norwegian Broadcasting Federation, NRK, and it is entirely free. There are no ads or any crap like that. It gives you localized weather data to wherever you are. So if you're walking around with your phone, it'll give you the weather data for the closest weather station to your physical location at any time. It has this super fancy interface. I don't know if you can see this. But as you scroll down, it'll show you what the weather actually looks like as it's happening. Uh, of course, this is Celsius, not Fahrenheit. And it even shows you like the position of the sun during the day. So you can see here the sun rises and then it goes down again. And it gives you fancy stats. So here you see a table for the next 10 days. And you have, uh, you know, actual stat breakdowns of barometric, barometric pressure and temperature and everything. It's super fancy. There's a website, yr.no. There's an app for all your devices and it just works and has no ads and is entirely free for everyone in the world. I do put it in the Slack channel because I never find it otherwise. Uh, um, um, so before, um, I think it's been a great show. Our special guest has contributed. Before we, I let them um, describe how you can find more about them and what they're up to. Is um, I'm doing a webinar on the 28th on the seven um, things you've got to know about and get right before you produce your first course. And that's with my co-host, Cindy Nickerson, on my Wednesday show. And that be on the 28th of February, uh, Thursday, at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And if that sounds interesting, um, join us live. We're going to be giving out some bonus bonuses stuff during our webinar. And that will, and you can register for that on WP Tonic Backstroke Webinar. It's quite easy. Um, David, um, thanks for coming on the show. <coughs> I want to talk, a, give you a little bit, of, a few minutes to describe Digibility. Um, it sounds a great company, and you're doing great things. Um, what's it about, David? Yeah, so we're a software company uh, and curriculum. Uh, and basically what we do is we help people with a cognitive disability like autism or Down syndrome um, learn technology, uh, financial literacy, digital literacy, um, social and emotional behavior modification, uh, how to build a website, um, the context of technology in the workplace. So we're called a work ready uh, program. 
And really the goal is to reverse the high, very high unemployment issue and problem uh, in the workplace for people that have a disability. And, um, you know, we do this training and curriculum in the classroom. Uh, typically our students were between 14 and 21, uh, all over the spectrum. Uh, our technology is differentiated to uh, compensate for that. There's science behind it, applied behavior uh, analysis. And um, we're in the classroom all around uh, the United States, primarily in public schools, uh, also private and charter. And where there's about a 70% unemployment rate for people that have a disability, um, our graduates have a 70% employment rate. So we're trying to flip uh, that trend. Um, and working with organizations now, like larger companies that know the value of people that have disabilities and, um, and know what that can bring to their company, but want to learn how to make accommodations and uh, to improve their workplace for people that um, have a disability and now are getting trained uh, to work there. So that's what we do. I'm the marketing director. I also own part of the company. Um, and me and my business partner, Michelle, like we fight, you know, it's a fight for us. Uh, we fight the school district of Philadelphia. We fight, we fight uh, City Hall. We're fighting people that are against us. You would be shocked. Like, why would anybody be against this company? Politics, money, power, ego, all of it. Uh, so, yeah, that's our, my other fight in life um, are for people that have a disability and deserve to be independent. And that's what we do. That's great. Have, have you got a personal blog and, uh, or anything that um, people can go to to find out more about you and your thoughts and ideas, David? Uh, probably Twitter would be the best place. I'm easy to find there. Uh, I don't blog anymore. I quit doing that. Although you can find my blog in archive.org. Right. I think it was davidmcohen.com. It's out there. All of the stuff I've written is out there. Um, but I'm not doing that. Yeah. Uh, but Twitter is the best place to, to connect with me and to ask questions about the Yoscon thing. Anything, uh, anything anybody wants to know, public, private, you can DM me. Um, best place to contact me, though. There we go, a troll with a heart. There we go. Uh, um, Chris, uh, Chris um, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? You can find me at lifterlms.com and also check out my podcast called LMS Cast. Oh, that's great. Dave and uh, John, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? You can find me at my website, which is lockdownseo.com. If you're a manufacturing company and you want to double the number of chips you're stacking each year, uh, get a hold of me. You can also find me on YouTube. Just uh, search hashtag lockdownseo. And Sally, how can people find out more about you and your thoughts on what you're up to? Uh, well, you can also find me on Twitter. I am at Sally Getch. I'm there sort of intermittently. Um, where you're possibly most likely to find me is on the uh, Genesis community uh, Slack. Um, and my business website is wpfangirl.com. And if you want to come to the meetup, it's eastbaywp.com. 
That's great. And we'll see you next week, folks. Um, we've got another female pan, um, special panelist that's going to be joining us. So Sally won't be the totem lady. And like I say, um, Yost will, um, has provision. He said he will be joining the show next week to answer some of the questions that David Cohen has put during this show. So hopefully that will happen. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.